0: The Italian Wine Podcast is introducing a new donation drive this month. It's called Why Am I a Fan? We are encouraging anyone who tunes in on a regular basis to send us your 10-second video on why you are a fan of our podcast network or a specific show. We will then share your thoughts with the world with the goal of garnering support for our donation drive. Italian Wine Podcast is a publicly funded, sponsor-driven enterprise that needs you in order to continue to receive awesome free wine edutainment seven days a week. We are asking our listeners to donate to the Italian Wine Podcast by clicking either the GoFundMe link or the Patreon link found on italianwinepodcast.com. Remember, if you sign up as a monthly donor on our Patreon, we will send you a free IWP t-shirt and a copy of the Wine Democracy Book, the newest Mama Jumbo Shrimp publication. (laughs)
1: And uh, my name is Joy Livingston, and I'm standing in for Stevie Kim, who is out in the big wild world, traveling, doing wine things. So I hope you guys are okay with me. Hi there, Sheila. Hey there. So I'm just going to give you a quick introduction tonight. Uh, so Sheila Donahue uh, is going to be interviewing Antonella Manulli, and I'm sure I, I didn't pronounce that correctly. <laughs> Hi, Antonella. Hello, you pronounce perfectly. Oh, you're very, very kind. <laughs> so, um, let's see here. Sheila, you are a New Yorker and that you've been living in Italy for 20 years. Where, where are you in Italy? In Bologna. Okay, okay. So, so, in the north then, not too far from us. You are the founder of Vero Vino and uh, CEO and uh, Sommelier as well. Uh, after you became a sommelier um you got and you got to know hundreds of, of different smaller producers do you have uh, anything you want to to
2: to add to that
1: is there is there
2: something i'm missing uh yeah no i just like to make a connection to the uh Vin Italy international uh, ambassador community that um i i started uh, i got involved in the community in 2017 um, when I had a year of sabbatical and I was considering to start my, my business and, um, and I just, you know, I really enjoyed the course. I, I learned, you know, learning about, uh, I thought I had, I thought I knew everything about Italian wine <laughs> after having lived in Italy for almost 20 years and became a sommelier there. But I found out, uh, rude awakening when I didn't pass the first course <laughs> that I didn't know enough. <laughs> I, I didn't know, uh, you know, enough, let's say, I mean, it's a constant learning, um, of, you know, of, of Italian wines, especially, but, um, but I just, uh, just wanted to give a shout out to the community of ambassadors that I, I like it.
1: <laughs> awesome. So, um, I guess my, my next, uh, this brings me then to, um, why you selected Antonella Manulli as your favorite producer?
2: So I, um, I, I, I identify with Antonella um, being a woman, a woman in wine, and a woman in business. And uh, I must say that I uh, <clears throat> she strikes a chord with me, and probably because I aspire to be an innovator and mover and shaker in wine like she is.
1: Awesome. Okay. And uh, how did you? How did you um, first? learn of her wines or taste her wines
2: or even, you know, meet her perhaps? I'm not sure if you've met before in person. Yeah, well, we met um, in 2018 at um, a networking event in Milan. And um, it, it happened to be a panel of uh, women wine, winery owners. And uh, so uh, Ms. Antonori and Ms. Uh, Frescobaldi were on the panel and so was, so was Antonella and, um, you know, I really liked her story and that, uh, is what, you know, brought me to get to know her.
1: Awesome. And a
2: last question <laughs> and
1: what, what kind of learning objectives, um, did you want to bring to the conversation? Did you want the, the audience to take away from the conversation today?
2: Yeah, I mean, I, uh, the conversation today, uh, I'd say, uh, will be, uh, beyond the wine, um, a lot about farming, about, uh, winery's involvement in the community. And, uh, and also, um, to find out how a winery can, let's say, turn back to the old and, and more pure traditions, but in a smart way. Uh, so that way, these traditions are, are carried forward to both preserve the future, but also in a way that makes business sense.
1: Okay. Well, that actually sounds, I, sounds really interesting. I'm really interested to hear about the farming aspect, actually. Um, so, I guess, without further ado, I will come back at the end and um, wrap things up. And perhaps we might have a question um, from the audience. And, um, yeah, go ahead, guys.
2: Okay, so um, so Antonella, I'm really happy to be talking with you today, um, and I'd like if, instead of me giving you uh, an overview of your life, i prefer if you uh, tell us uh, your story and, you know, your uh, your journey in particular that led you to start Fatoria La Maliosa.
3: Hello, Sheila, I enjoy, thank you for having me. Just, I have a little bit of a sore throat, so I will clear my voice once in a while, and excuse me for that. <coughs> so, Sheila, yes, um, well, I um, I haven't had uh, a, a life where I was uh, born and grown up in the same place. I was uh, around quite a lot. Uh, um, I I lived in Switzerland in the mountains uh until I was uh about fourteen, then I was back uh in Italy but uh living in the country for three years and then I went to uh college in the United States playing golf on a on a golf scholarship in California. And and then actually uh I came back to Italy when I was uh twenty three but uh, really I came back probably not really as a, as a person with an italian heritage um so i i've always felt like i was like an italian speaking non-italian with maybe different ideas on a lot of things uh, and um uh so i started working um i, I graduated in uh, business administration so i started working in a, like a typical career path like um, you know, finance, uh, bank, et cetera, et cetera. And, uh, around, uh, 27, 28 years old, I had uh, an opportunity to work in the, in the Maremma, Tuscany. <coughs> it's, it's south of Tuscany. Um, in, in a resort, uh, it was called Terme di Saturnia. It was, uh, and so it, it's a place that I had never been to, actually, in my life. And uh, it was quite shocking at first because uh, I, w- I got there. It was, uh, I think, 1990. And, and the place was actually quite wild. I mean, is not really uh, like, like it is today. It's still wild, but not so, uh, I would say, uh, unknown as, as far as, as uh, also, you know, tourism was not so developed. It was not known outside of Italy. Uh, it, it was only, um, you know, uh, I think probably the, the only tourists there were people from Rome, which is really close, so they, they knew the place. Otherwise, even uh, for Italians of other regions, it was still quite unknown. So that's really the story of how I got to Maremma. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. And so I worked there for a a few years and I was really, uh, right from the beginning, really impressed by the natural um, side, you know, of of the place. Um, The environment was uh, very, very unspoiled. It was uh, very sparsely populated. They say that Maremma has the same population density as Siberia, meaning not a lot of people around. So nature is really owns you. You have you have this um, feeling uh, a lot of times in Maremma, where it's kind of like Africa, where it's one of those rare places on earth, I think, where humans are still have a feeling. Um, whereas they're not in control of, of the world. Okay. It's the natural world is controlling you. So this is very peculiar. And apart from, of course, beautiful landscape and really, I mean, it's, it's a place that you see and you cannot forget. So I really grew to, um, uh, know, you know, I visited a lot of places and also one of the things that struck me was, um, there seemed to be no awareness in the local population of uh, this very um, unique aspect about the unspoiled environment. <coughs> and there were absolutely no agricultural projects that were based on um, healthy production or um, sustainable production. So now we are speaking probably around the beginning of the, of the you know, 2000, 2003, <coughs> where I stopped working at the Terme di Saturnia, and by that time uh, I already had a child and I was working on my second child. So I thought also to take uh, a couple of years to think about what I wanted to do with my life <laughs> also um you know with with two children small children uh, at home and uh, that's where i started um thinking that maybe i could do something um that was based on on sustainability and producing healthy uh products and um also um, you know to to kind of give some tangible value to all this beauty that was there so that's it.
2: <laughs> Thanks, Sentinella. And um, what about wine? How, how, did, uh, how did your interest in, in
3: wine come about? Okay, wine was a consequence because really, I, I didn't really start out with the idea I'm going to make wine. I started out with the idea of let's produce something. That is in tune with this type of environment, okay that is all not just the environment but also the history of the place. Um, and so of course, so the the two uh, uh, consequences of this uh, reasoning were, I'm going to produce wine and olive oil, okay <clears throat> because these are the two historical cultivations, especially olive oils in that area. Even even more than wine, but um, okay. We we at this point, Sheila. I, I didn't have uh, a company though. Okay, I didn't have anything, <laughs> so I really uh, needed to find some um, plots of land that were suitable to this type of project, which actually took me a few years because. Um, that it, it wasn't easy, and uh, because you know I, I wanted some characteristics that were not just for producing, but also you know I, I needed to have like a nice landscape and and a combination of of um, uh, historical cultivations on the on the land, meaning like an old vineyard, which is not very easy to find there and uh, and olives would that's easier so all this came to a conclusion around 2008 and 2009 that's that's where actually we we started moving our first steps okay and
2: um so uh, you describe uh as an agricultural startup and <coughs> you just uh tell us why
3: Yes, why you describe it that way? Yes, we're used to thinking about startups as being like fintech okay um, or you know very very fast um things that you know just really start out on um, ideas and uh, and grow very quickly uh but you you can have you can apply the same concepts in agriculture. You can, you can be innovative. You can do something different. Uh, however, what's really uh, different <laughs> from other startups is, is time. So uh, I was really starting from scratch. So, so time, uh, uh, of course, uh, was, uh, was a lot longer period than in usual startups that we were used to thinking about. But all the characteristics of the startup I think are there uh including you know doing something new uh, uh or, or something old in in a different way and uh, with uh, uh starting from scratch on a, on an idea so I think this is really um, uh, a lot of ingredients
2: okay, so maybe as we're talking you can give us some more more examples of uh um you know, of let's say the the innovation that that you've been doing. But um, but first, uh, tell us what it was like the first year that you were a wine grower and and making wine, considering that you were new to the industry and that you're
3: also a woman. Okay. Yes, Sheila. <coughs> Sorry. the The problem was that I was new not not only i was new but everybody else seemed to be new like even in the wine industry they they just did not know what i was talking about nobody was used in any way of working in a more sustainable way okay let's keep in mind we are we are speaking about a few years ago where now you know everything is sustainable and everybody is an expert uh, everybody wants to do it back then Nobody had a clue, all right, which is something I realized very quickly uh, um, that I was um, speaking some different unknown language that didn't find anybody that was able to consider it and, and also um, have a know-how that could be applied. So it, it was really uh, new in every sense. So th- this was a major um, issue because all you know the consultants that i, I could find <clears throat> not just in the area but uh, uh, really anywhere they they just had their ideas which was you know the, the uh, conventional you know way it, that, that was done and uh, they really didn't know how to do anything else uh, and and the fact of being a woman, um, well, being a, being a woman, I think is a, is an issue in Italy at any stage, not just in the startup stage. I think it's it's an issue. Um, uh, to my surprise, I have to say, uh, more in in the world of wine, because I came from the banking and financial. And actually, there it was not so much of an issue. I mean, um, coming to the world of wine, uh, it's like um, as people they they they're kind of surprised. They were I, I, the typical question that I'm, I'm always asked, even today, is <clears throat> so you got this from your father? You got this from your family is involved? um you know you have an uncle you have a brother you have a cousin i mean in in the mind of people if you're working in the world of wine um you must have some kind of a family uh heritage uh, basically male otherwise i don't know um so so this this really quite surprised me a little bit because i was not expecting that Um, but also I have to say, uh, I think being a woman gave me more freedom and and doing from scratch and being a woman also gave me more freedom to think outside of the box and not feel like I was tied to any previous ideas, uh, somebody else's ideas and also to experiment, maybe also make some mistakes, um, Without feeling, um, you know, I was breaking any, uh, unwritten rules or, or, or way or, or old ways. Um, so, um, what was the beginning of, of your question? <laughs> Sheila? Hi. Yeah, no.
2: <clears throat> yeah, no, I think, I think you, you answered it. Um, certainly you gave us a really good picture of, of what it was like, not only year as a, a wine grower, but also, um, to up to today uh, in terms of being a, a woman in the industry. Um, so, uh, let's talk a bit about, uh, Lorenzo Carino. Um, and, um, uh, for, for those of you that are listening, he was a viticultural researcher who, uh, sadly <coughs> passed away, um, uh, a year ago. Um, and, um, and Antonella, uh, uh if you can tell us how you came to to know Lorenzo and and what role did he play in your startup.
0: Are you enjoying this podcast? There is so much more high-quality wine content available for Mama Jumbo Shrimp. Check out our new wine study maps or books on Italian wine, including Italian Wine Unplugged and much, much more. Just visit our website, mamajumboshrimp.com. Now, back to the show.
3: Okay, yes, Sheila, like I was saying before, I had this big issue of um, finding some let's say um technical help that knew um, you know that that could really put my project uh in practice uh that had experience in sustainable viticulture. I, I realized this very soon and I started out, you know, <laughs> with a very wide search, um, of where this, you know, person could be. And by a series of lucky, um, meetings, I <clears throat> came in called Lorenzo and I, in the, project to him, and he, he came down to Maremma. This was December 2012. And he was very, very struck right away But by, by the, the natural quality of the place. He was, was really, really impressed. And uh, uh, Lorenzo had been working, like you said, with uh, national research uh he was the head of the Enological institute in asti he was a very very well known person um in in the viticultural research published a lot of papers and he was uh, he was um retiring it was, it was i was also very lucky because he was retiring in december 2012 uh and so was free to take up any other um you know whatever yeah, he, um so he came down to to Maliosa. and visited and uh, for me it was speaking with him the, the first couple of times we met um it was like you know when when you have like a light bulb lighting in your head and it was for me it was like like a aha moment you know <laughs> it was like oh my god you know like this person Not this is also what I said to him. I said not only you understand what I would like to do, but you can take this a step forward, and we we can go even further, a lot further than my original thinking. I knew he had uh, quite a few proposals for private uh, from private wineries when he retired, including some very very big names. Um, but Lorenzo is a very, was a very pure person and I'm sure he, uh, chose of course La La Maliosa, which was quite a risky choice, uh, and, and not for money or, or, you know, because he could have earned, of course, a lot more with some big names, but also because he understood, you know, he had the freedom. I gave him a lot of freedom, uh. To do something uh, completely uh, faithful to his ideas and from scratch. This is very important because not everybody has the opportunity to plant vineyards. Uh, and, and we basically had to do everything from most of the vineyards I planted with him. Uh, and so uh, he could, uh, he realized in, in Maliosa he could continue Doing some research, but on his own terms, which is not something he could um, always do when he was working for the public sector. I would say this is the beginning.
2: And what, uh, so what did you accomplish together with Lorenzo?
3: Well, um, Lorenzo is an expert on soil. So uh, we started from there. We, you know, uh, Mm. one uh, one peculiar aspect because we we were going to plant vineyards for already with the idea of producing um, natural wine and very very low intervention in the management of the vineyards so by planting with this idea in mind we could already do something that would help us in the long run to achieve these goals Um, so, uh, of course, starting from the soil, we we had a project going with the CREA of, of uh, Firenze. The CREA is the National Institute that is Studying um, Life in... in uh, well, it's a re- national research institute in agriculture. They do a lot of things. But uh, with them, we started this project um, that was um, basically to look at life in the soil before and after planting the vineyard. Of course, uh, uh, I'm not going into technical stuff, but basically this, this is important because the way we plant did not disrupt life in the soil. Okay, this is very important because usually when you plant a vineyard, in order to achieve, the same quantity of 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 um, uh, life. It, this this is a measure that is called soil biological quality, SBQ. It's 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 an official name for, for this measure. Um, usually, you you take it. It's very disrupted. The SBQ is very disrupted by uh, the planting of a vineyard. Uh, in our case, it wasn't, and and this all goes to the health of the vines. Uh, of course, we're not producing for high yields, so uh, w- we kind of uh, allow for the natural, um, you know, physiology of the vines to express itself. Um, and this started with soil, uh, also by, for example, by planting. Mm, uh, vineyards in, uh, now help me with the English word, which I don't remember. Uh, the, the Alberello training system. How is the Alberello? Ah, uh, shoot.
2: Alberello. <laughs> so I'm,
3: no, I'm not uh, sure.
2: Oh, head trained. Head trained. Okay. Yeah.
3: <laughs> so, so also, the, the, yes, yeah, so the, the way of the pruning, very important. The variety we chose and, and of course the management and, um it's it's a process okay it's it's a process it's not one single thing but it's a a combination of uh, of uh, a lot of things that basically is completely preserving the environment within the vineyard the same way as it would be without it so th- this is it's not uh something obvious that i'm telling you because it's usually the environment within the vineyard is, is completely different as an environment outside of the vineyard, right? Um, he had a saying, he actually also wrote an article um, that was, uh, the, the title was uh, bring uh, something like bringing the forest into the vineyard, which doesn't mean we're going to plant trees in the vineyard, of course. It's just to preserve biodiversity and complexity not of, of the life below the soil, but also above, for example, by not disrupting the herbs, the wild herbs that uh, that, uh, that grow spontaneously.
2: And then uh, from all of this um, work that you did with Lorenzo, the, the byproduct was the metodo corino, correct?
3: Yes, so we started in uh, 2013. We realized by 2016, 2017 that we actually had, um, like, uh, you know, we, we, we had to find uh, a very clear process for, for all the things that we were doing. And um, so we decided to uh, give it a name. So, since we are uh, in the world of wine, we thought metodo was was a good uh, a good way to call it, and uh, and we gave it the name of, of Lorenzo, his last name, because uh, it originated, you know, from all of his ideas. They were put in practice in Maliosa. so it, it, it was also like um, you know. I, I think it was nice to him for him to have his name on it, and. Um, also, I think uh, we needed some way to give transparency to the market about what we were actually doing because you know very well that um, you know, natural wine is not something is, is a name that is used within the trade and the industry. Uh, however, it doesn't have a legal definition so it's it's uh, very common that we go to a natural wine event or fair and and you find ten producers with eight different ideas on how to make wine. this This can be very confusing. Uh, and also very very sometimes quite hard to explain to people what you're doing. So um, we thought that giving transparency to our Actions or to this process would also help, um, you know, our customer to really understand us and communicate to 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 them, uh, without the need to to de- to um, necessarily say we were making natural wine and get into all this confusing market mess about that is behind natural wine. And what have you seen in terms of the?
2: The actual benefits uh, applying uh, the Metodo Corino in terms of the wine, the quality of the wine,
3: in terms of the, the fruit and the vineyards. Yes, okay. The, the, the combination of all these processes that make up the Metodo Corino have the, the, the main aim of producing grapes with thick skin. Uh, uh of course healthy grapes with thick skins so this is important because uh since we are um not uh adding anything in the cellar we're not using any technology we're not using um uh we're using a, in, in the indigenous uh, yeast not adding any any chemicals or, or of any kind it's important to have a thick skin and we're also, um, you know, making skin contact uh, wines. Uh, so this is, is helping to, to, to produce a better quality uh, for this type of wines. So this is, is one main point, uh, I would say. Uh, the healthy grapes, the healthy vines that don't need so much. So we're keeping the environment of the, of the vineyard uh, uh, pure, okay, and um, and also uh, and 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 also the thick skin. I would say.
2: Okay, so speaking uh, speaking of grapes, uh, you grow uh, and make wine from Procanico, Nebbiano, Sangiovese, Jolo, and Cannonau Gris. So, of those grapes, which one is your favorite? from a wine grower's perspective and also a, a winemaker's perspective?
3: Well, I, ca- I can only say that, that, okay, Procanico is my favorite. I would say it's it's uh, area related because uh, one very important point is that we are using local varieties that are very adapted to the place, climate, and soil. So uh, it's it's not an absolute uh, Concept because I I could take my Procanico and and plant it I don't know maybe in a very rainy place and it wouldn't give us a nice result but definitely Procanico is my is my favorite grape because it's a it's a rare grape very very ancient it's dating back to the Roman times it it was already um, mentioned by Plinius, the the Roman agronomist and um, it, it's really a condensation of of you know uh, everything that Marema is, co- including history, and uh, and uh, um, it's quite original. It's it's not a taste that you are um, used to. It's not a modern wine, I would say, but it's a very very authentic witness to the place.
2: And um,
3: uh, maybe I didn't mention it's it's a white grape.
2: <laughs> yeah, I know. Uh- it was a grape I learned uh, in 2017 in San Francisco in the <laughs> Italy mm-hmm. ambassador's class. <laughs> um, yeah, so t- tell us a bit about um, how the, the local community where you are in Marema, um, how they have benefited from uh, La Maliosa and uh, and how they're involved in your farm.
3: In the beginning, uh, actually, uh, everybody was quite suspicious. Uh, I, I know there was a lot of talking behind my back. Um, mm. probably, you know, they were thinking, what is this woman from outside <laughs> doing? Completely crazy. Uh, but then I mean, they, they changed their mind a lot, <laughs> I think, because, um, they saw how what I was doing there that they couldn't understand at first was actually got a lot of recognition uh, outside of Maremma, uh, and and I gave uh, uh, value to um, an area that that really had been a little bit forgotten. Uh, Maremma is the forgotten Tuscany, and and uh, so they realized I think at one point that actually this was good for you know for the area uh besides the fact that uh, the company has grown and that I've been hiring uh, you know uh, more more locals which was good for the for the small local economy uh, but also i think um, actually it it was interesting because i could i i gave this this area uh, an idea that they could they could um do something i mean they were worth something um marema marema uh, is is really has a little bit of a complex you know they they feel like they may be inferior not as well considered uh, as the rest of Tuscany, but I, I think with the, now it, mine is not probably the, the only project that started working in a more sustainable way, but I, I really think I was a pioneer for the terroir, uh, and I really gave them an idea that they could, uh, they could do something, uh, as well. Okay.
2: And then, uh, can you tell us, um, how your, your farm and, um, and your, your wine being impacted by climate change, and is there anything specific that you're you're doing to uh, combat
3: the risks of climate change Yes, uh, yes, climate change is a very very big problem is impacted actually a lot of course, not just me but uh, everybody in the area. Uh, Marema is a, is a place where the the weather is, is historically has been extreme. Uh, mm-hmm. So you have like an an extreme heat, extreme rain, extreme drought. So everything is very very extreme. Okay. Um, what we found uh, in in the past five years, we've had four years of drought. So uh, it seems uh, that the new normal is drought uh and, and this is uh, a very very big complication uh, because um it's not always possible uh, to to water you know <laughs> and uh, there's not a lot of water in the area besides that and and i think a lot of come si like ponds where you get like ponds okay Everything is drying up. The rivers have been drying up, but this is not, okay, this year the drought was everywhere in Italy. The problem with Maremma, it's been four out of five years and it, the temperatures. Um, so every year it's not just the annual drought is that it's depleting all the water beneath the soil, you know, in, in the groundwater. Uh, so the vineyards, have never had such a, a big problem with summer droughts or high temperature because that's normal the problem is we are having winters without rain and this is really what's damaging um, what's really damaging a lot uh, uh all kinds of agriculture actually in the area and uh, to tell you i don't have the magic solution uh what uh, what we are doing I think it was already mitigating a lot, the the problem of the drought. However, uh, it's not possible to survive without water. So uh, we are looking for underground water within the property and and, uh, to to find some system to be able to irrigate in in this kind of uh, emergency situation. Okay. All
2: right. So... uh turn it back to, uh, to Joy now if you'd like to have, um, have others ask questions.
1: Hi there. Yeah, that was, that was great. And, in fact, we do have a question from Paul Bologna. And he says, I had the pleasure of meeting Antonella at Vinitali a few years ago. And subsequently purchased her wine. My question for you has to do with the future of blockchain. Given
3: your passion for innovation, what do you see for the future of blockchain? Okay, thank you for your question because actually we have a blockchain on our labels. Um, so uh, I think um, blockchain is a very interesting concept for producers that are are work, working like us in a, in a very sustainable way because it, it's it's um, a help given by technology. Uh, to demonstrate what we're doing, because the danger of, of everybody speaking about sustainability today, of course, is greenwashing. Everybody is claiming they're doing a lot of things, but you never know where the truth is. What's, you know, the, the, I think we're speaking too much and doing too little. So this is kind of damaging for producers like us who are very, very serious about the matter. And it, it can be confusing for the customer to be able to distinguish, you know, who is working properly, who is doing greenwashing. Uh, so I think blockchain uh, can be implemented in the future. To uh, we, we've had a, a blockchain on our labels um, because we had we had a project with very very big sponsors, so we didn't have to pay for it. Uh, uh, however. <laughs> Uh, I hope in the future it will become more affordable and so we will be able to do it without sponsor and maybe also other producers. It will be a tool that we'll be, we uh, will be able to use to show the, co- the consumer uh, how we're working.
1: Awesome. Okay, great. And um, I'm just going to put it out there. If anybody has any questions uh, for Antonella, feel free to raise your hand. And if not, if you just want, if you're too shy, (laughs) you can always email me the question. I'll forward it to info at italianwinepodcast.com. So I don't see anybody raising their hand. In that case, I'm going to close the room soon. Antonella, Sheila, but I want to ask you, Laika, uh, what do we have next for Clubhouse? Uh okay, so next week we're gonna have three clubhouses. Um, it's because we're trying to record as many as possible for the Christmas break. Um, anyway, so on the twenty uh next week, sorry, next week there are no clubhouses, but next next week there's gonna be November twenty one. John Camacho Vidal will be interviewing Oscar Arriba Bene, um from Domenico Clerico. On the twenty second, there's Shawan Du, and she will be interviewing Avignonessa's CEO and head winemaker Matteo Giustiniani. Mm-hmm. Then on the twenty fourth, Arlene Oriveros will be interviewing Francesca Vaira. So that's it. All right, so, uh, yeah, if you have any questions, guys, um, you just uh, send an email to info at Italianwinepodcast.com. So that's it, Joy. Awesome. Thank you so much, both of you, Sheila. And Antonella, thank you so much for your thank time you. and for the great interview. That was amazing. Thank you.
3: Thank you, Sheila, for having me. And thank you, Joy. Okay. Okay. Buona serata. Ciao. 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 ciao, ciao Grazie.